0: Welcome to Signs of Hope, a series by Matra Day Radio, telling the stories of how God is working here in the Pacific Northwest. My name is Sarah Kinsey, your host, and I'm so excited to invite you along with us as we discover all the ways God is working here in our local Catholic community in Oregon and Southwest Washington. If you'd like to hear about the inspiration behind this project, feel free to listen to our short introductory episode And be sure to check out the video component of this series which can be found on our website our youtube channel and on the hail mary media app our first focus for this new signs of hope project was on the franciscan sisters of the eucharist for our second feature we wanted to highlight local vocations to the priesthood and religious life And so as part of this process, I had some fantastic conversations, including with two seminarians for the Archdiocese of Portland, a brother with the missionaries of the Holy Spirit who was also studying for the priesthood, a religious sister who grew up in Portland in Camas, Washington, and our local vocations director. And I have to say, I was so inspired and uplifted hearing all of these very personal testimonies about how these people encountered God, how they discovered their vocation, and how they live it out today. And in turn, this helped me really start to examine my own life more closely and to consider how I could be conforming myself better to God's will for my life. And so I hope that these conversations really can do the same for you. In this particular podcast episode, I am so excited to share the vocation story of Father Peter Julia, who is the newly appointed Director of Vocations here in the Archdiocese of Portland. I sat down with Father recently, and he shared his story and why he's so excited to be in this new role. Here's Father Peter sharing about his childhood, his family life, and faith in his younger years.
1: My name is Father Peter Julia. I'm the director of vocations for the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon. I had kind of a wild journey, you know. In some in some regards, often when people ask where I'm I'm from, that's one of the difficulties. Is because I'll say something like, "Oh, I'm going home," and my immediate family lives in Texas now. But I was born in Brooklyn, New York, and that's where all of my family was. And so I went from Brooklyn to New Jersey to Texas to Colorado and then finally to Oregon. And then I ended up studying in Rome and then coming back here, right? So nobody could ever really get a beat on where I I am actually from. And so I was born in, in New York though, both sides of my family are Italian immigrants. So both sides of my family came from Southern Italy, like many of the Italian immigrants were from Southern Italy and came through Ellis Island and then all settled in Brooklyn. But then everybody just kind of branched out to the other boroughs and stuff. So, you know, cousins in Staten Island and different parts of New York. And so that's where I was born. I was born in Brooklyn and then um, Catholic family, raised Catholic. And then we moved to New Jersey when I was probably, gosh, let me think, like four or five years old or something like that. But then, you know, New Jersey is just over the river essentially, right? So we were back and forth all the time for like first communions and anniversaries and birthdays and all these different things like that. So it was always back and forth, but then my dad, he got transferred his job. So the first 12 years of my life were on the East coast. And then the second 12 years of my life were in Texas and Texas was a huge, so it was 1992. So that was a huge change. in, in my life is when we moved to for the whole family, we were one of the first people in the family to ever really move away from like the central nucleus of where everybody was from in that New York or New Jersey area. So that was a big deal. And of course, this is the end of an era, right? People don't really understand this this much unless you're old enough. This is when family members could come to the gate in the airport and you can just get into the airport. As long as you went through security, you could just come in, right? You didn't have to have a ticket or anything like that, which is so foreign to a lot of younger folks. And um, I remember my entire family, is at the gate of the airport when we're about to leave for Texas. And every, so this is probably like 30 people, 40, I was like my extended family. And everybody's crying and crying. They probably think somebody, like we're going to a funeral or somebody died or something. But it was just that we were moving. And that was one of these huge events in my whole entire family's life. And so then we, yeah, we land in Texas and things are really different in Texas. And then, but, but when I was young, I never really discerned a vocation. I wasn't. Super. I was just like any other kid, like I wasn't attentive at mass, you know, like my, I have one older sister, Jen, and so we would, you know, we would do the same thing other siblings do, like squeeze, squeeze each other's hand, like to see who could squeeze the other person's hands hardest, or something, during mass, of course, right, you know, future priest. <laughs> and so it's kind of a, kind of those funny things, so that just very normal growing up, and, you know, catechism wasn't super vibrant in like the 80s and 90s necessarily, So the the level of catechism I got just depended completely on who the teacher was. Were they good? Were they engaging? All these different things. And so, yeah, then we were in Texas and then my sister went to Baylor University and so did I. She was first and I was essentially right after her. A lot of my life was athletics. I was never a really great student, so I always struggled academically. And um, little did I know that the Lord would see it fit for me to have way more education than I ever imagined that I would ever have. Because of seminary and things like that, I went to school a lot longer than I ever expected to. And um, this is kind of a true story that I tell people every once in a while, but I I always say that uh, when I, literally, when I walked across the stage at Baylor with my diploma in my hand, I just looked up to the sky and I was like, thank you, Jesus, never again, (laughs) and stuff. And then little did I know, you know, eight years of seminary education waited for me in my future.
0: As he talked about his early life, Father Peter shared how his family really contributed to encouraging his vocation to the priesthood, but also how his vocation in turn impacted his family, as well as really his passion for helping others to find their vocation.
1: Kind of a twisty-turny sort of path in a lot of ways, but a lot of it was having amazing family, like my parents and my sister all of which who are practicing Catholics and my sister and her brother-in-law, they were married for about nine years. My brother-in-law Ed came into the church um, nine years after they were married. So, you know, he was just like, he agreed to all of the Catholic things when they got married, but then eventually he wanted to become a Catholic himself. And now he's like, he leads like the rosary at the parish and divine mercy chaplet and does all of these things at the parish. It's a riot. Like you might've heard that you know, converts make the best Catholics. And he's like, I know so many examples of that being the truth. And, uh, and then so of course, my sister and brother-in-law have three boys and like so every, everybody's practicing, you know, their Catholicism, which is an amazing gift. And I'm really thankful for that. But even through my own discernment and journey, my family deepened their faith, right? Like you can't go to your son's diaconate ordination at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, and not have that affect you, right, you know? And so as each step in deepening I had in my faith, that that also deepened my family's faith and some of my friends as well. And um, so it's an amazing thing. It's amazing to be a witness to that. And then to also now, like help train other men and help them through the seminary and recruit other men who might be be priests, But, but even broader than that, right? It's just like, We want to help people find their vocation. So I'm obviously specializing in men who are becoming priests, but we want people to find their vocation. So if a guy discerns out of seminary, but then he decides to get married, he's found his vocation. So we want him to find that. I don't want just people to become priests. Like I want women to realize that they should be married women, or women to realize that they should be religious sisters and men to be priests and men to be earthly fathers and husbands. And so that's the most important thing of what we do. Obviously the specialty is there, right? Like I'm focusing on the guys who are gonna be in seminary who are going to be priests, but um, anybody that ever crosses my path, you want them to find their vocation, to help them with a million tools that the church has given us over, you know, over 2000 years of the deposit of faith, you know, countless saints, help teach us how to do this and so you know we're standing on the shoulders of giants and that's exactly how you help other people discern what their vocation is in life and so my vocation was super profound to me i'm a little bit of they always say old vocation older vocation and they do these air quotes like that and stuff so like i said i'm 42 now and i entered the seminary at 32 and so you know it was a profound experience for me and it was recent enough to be so memorable that you know, I I hope that I can help other other guys through that journey. And I think because it's been so memorable, I'm like a fan of vocations, right? Which is probably the reason that Archbishop thought that I could do this job. And then and even my my predecessor, Father Jeff, who did an amazing job and was the vocation director almost my entire time of formation, um, because they did an amazing job that makes me want to do an amazing job at it as well. And uh, it just made me really care about vocations in the first place. And so it's a super humbling thing to be here. The story I tell all the time, and i probably told on modern day before, but I say it so often because I think it shows the hand of God in many things, is that um, when Father Jeff was studying at the North American College, so Father Jeff was the vocation director for most of my time in the seminary. He studied at the North American College and We come back, we get ordained deacons, and then we do our pastoral year as deacons when we study over there, and he was assigned at the cathedral, and the cathedral is my parish. That's still my registered parish, technically, and um, that's where I was going to Mass, and I was helping to serve Mass and doing a bunch of other things, and during his time there, he said to me, he said, hey, you know, Peter, do you know about the Archbishop's discernment retreat? And so that's a retreat, we still run to this day, the Archbishop's Discernment Retreat is usually sometime in the new year, like January or so. And it's men who are thinking about the priesthood and the Archbishop is with them, basically like a Friday evening, all day Saturday, and then uh, Sunday morning until uh, midday. And we have a retreat about discernment, about deciding whether or not that the Lord is calling you to be a priest. And so Father Jeff was the first one, not even ordained himself yet, a priest. He was a deacon at the time, transitional deacon and he told me about that so the future vocations director told the future vocations director about a vocations retreat which i think is the funniest thing in the world so we had he had no idea he would eventually be vocations director and i had no idea i was even going to be a priest at the time let alone the vocations director you know directly you know succeeding him so you never know what the lord has in store for you but my life really changed when I finally said, I I, I kind of describe it this way. We very often draw up amazing blueprints, so we think. We're like, Lord, I've created this amazing plan, this amazing blueprint. Here you go. If you just follow it, everything should be fine. And then as soon as we come to the harsh reality that that's not the way that life works, um, then This was the pivotal moment for me, and I think it's the pivotal moment for anybody who's looking for their true vocation. You say, Lord, I want want what you want. I've tried to do things of my own design, of my own plan, and that really hasn't made me happy. It hasn't, you know, panned out the way that I thought that it would. So I want what you want. Give me the blueprint. And so when you give him that power, when you finally let go with your own free will, you let go. And you say, I want your will to reign in my life. That's the moment that somebody's life really starts to change. Because if you let go and, and you know, allow God to actually start to direct your life, then things change. And, and, and that's when my discernment really changed. When I finally had that conversation with the Lord, where I was like, I've tried it my way, and I think I'm just wrong. So I want what you want.
0: Next, we got into the details of Father Peter's story and where his life really started to change. He shared about his time in college at Baylor and how he started asking deeper questions about his faith.
1: For anybody who knows anything about Baylor, one of the things that's quite unique about it that I think is wonderful, they seem to be able to be a high-tier academic school, but they've been able to keep their Christian identity. And so um, it's a Baptist school by heritage, but... And then I think Catholicism is actually number two, though, in terms of population on campus. So a lot of people don't really realize that. But it's a very Christian environment, though. So I'm like, everybody just talks about Jesus and talks about, like, their relationship with Jesus and, like, goes to church. And so that part, you feel very comfortable actually being a part of a Christian community at large. And that was the first time I really had to think about my Catholicism. And... You know, I went to, to church with my friends and I would still go to Mass. And it was, but I was a little bouncy at that point, just like many people experienced in college. I wasn't really going to Mass on a regular basis when I was at school. But when I went home, I always went to Mass. It was sort of no, so it's sort of like my identity as a Catholic was never in question, but my practice was kind of subpar, like some of us were, especially those poorly catechized ones. didn't realize like oh it's a mortal sin to not go to sunday mass it's like oops you know there's just those times of ignorance that some of us have in our faith and i certainly had that but but it made me actually want to learn because i didn't understand exactly why we were catholic and so then i made that conscious decision to start to read about it and sort of study about it and now, of course, everything is like streaming media, but at the time, it was more like uh, the CDs from Lighthouse Catholic Media. And so that was kind of the era that I really dove in. And God bless people who have apostolates like that, you know, people, even like modern day radio, like radio stations and, and, and Ascension and Word on Fire, and all the people who put their energy into media to spread the gospel, because that was hugely important for me. I was a benefit, you know, benefactor of those very things. And even when I moved to Portland, when I first came out here and I was having this kind of awakening in my faith and in a real discernment period, um, I, I really didn't. And a lot of other guys I know have experienced this too. We sort of stopped listening to music in the car, and you're either praying your rosary in the car or the radio is off, or I was listening to KBVM, you know, so modern day now, you know, so I was listening to Catholic radio or nothing, or like a Lighthouse Catholic Media CD about the faith. You, you need that silence or you need the faith. And you sort of don't need the noise of other things like music or whatever. And I play the guitar and I was really into music. And so it was weird that I had no desire for it. So those are all those transformations are, are starting to happen in my life at that point.
0: Father continued with sharing Two really pivotal events in his life that were part of his journey, and he was incredibly open about these events. He reflected that aspects of his vocation to the priesthood were really born out of these difficult situations.
1: Probably the two biggest factors that people know about me, and these two things get confounded though, sometimes they get a little bit confused, so because they're two dramatic events in my life. And they're, and usually when people hear them for the first time, they're like, <gasps> you know, they're like, you know, maybe semi-scandalized even, but, um, so the first one, maybe not so scandalous, but um, when I was at Baylor, I met a, a wonderful girl, and she, but she was in remission from from cancer when we met. And I didn't know that, like, I didn't know that about her, but um, her name was Kristen. And, um, but, you know, we just, there's some funny stories about, how we met and how I made kind of a fool of myself trying to meet her and stuff like that. But hey, in the end, it, it did pay off because we started to date each other. And, um, but I but I definitely made kind of a silly fool of myself, I think. And, uh, but it, but in the end, we started dating and then she told me that she had this this brain cancerous brain tumor, but then they operated on it successfully. And so we had met in this time of remission from the brain tumor, but then eventually, um, the tumor actually came back, and then and then it it had spread, and uh, and then and eventually that cancer took her her life, and and that was gosh, it was nearly half my life ago when she got really sick. I turned twenty one, and I'm forty two now, so that gives you kind of a swat. and and so even half my life later, I'm still reflecting upon that moment, and I've often said sometimes when I talk about my vocation that sometimes. Um, I really do think aspects of my vocation were born out of that situation. Just like our very faith itself is born out of Christ's death. You know, that, that's like this new beginning, this huge turn in salvation history and, and faith. And um, that happened for me too, in, in many ways, to be so close to somebody who was dying and to experience their death and then to experience your life after that, um, for a 21 year old guy, it really changed my outlook on things in the world. And um, one of the first things that happened is that it made me, oddly, it made me not really fear death anymore in a strange, in a strange way. And um, I just sort of pondered it more than anybody else my age really probably would, unless maybe they had some sort of experience that was similar. And, uh, and so that was just life changing for me. And I mean, I mean it's still life changing for me. So then I had to kind of move on with my life after that. And then anybody who's lost anybody that they love, you're sort of like, I don't really know what to do. Nothing matters. You have that experience of like, nothing really seems to matter. And, and so then you have to figure out how to move forward with your life because you're still alive. And that's a really difficult thing, and I, I think I finally found. I remember Kristen's mom gave me C.S. Lewis's book, a little book, "A Grief Observed," which is an amazing book, and then and then some of the other things that C.S. Lewis had written really spoke to me. And then eventually, Saint Augustine, some of the things that he also wrote about his own his mom, about his his a death of his close friend, and all of these things are in the Confessions of Saint Augustine. And um, And and sometimes you read somebody else who describes what you felt. And it's very hard to find that though. For those of us who have a great loss in our life, people can say nice things to you and all kinds of true things, but you're not always able to receive them. But then when you receive somebody who actually experienced what you experienced, when you read their words, you're like, yes, like that. You know, C.S. Lewis, one of the things he wrote is he said, you know, the death of a loved one is, is an amputation. It's like a severing of one's own body, right? And you're like, yeah, that, (laughs) you know? And so you identify these people who wrote beautiful things and you're like, yeah. And then I remember he said about his own wife, he said her absence is like the sky spread over everything. And then you're like, yeah, like that, (laughs) you know? And so when you start to read people that you identify with then that becomes really profound. But then eventually I I met another lovely lady and then we got married. And then we dated for two years, and we were in the same major at Baylor. Kind of, I was in like the health and fitness sort of field, so to speak, in my undergrad. And then, um, and then we, we graduated, and we got married right after graduation, and we were married for three years, so we were kind of together for a span of five years. And, uh, and then we got divorced, and we lived in Colorado most of our marriage. And so um, it's tough. I remember sometimes it's been tough to decide whether or not I would bring that up to people, right? You know, just that I had been married. And some people, I think, even think that like, oh, you know, Father, you shouldn't really talk about that. But the funny thing about it is um, people would find out about that anyway. And, And it's always, I think, more important for people to just understand what my journey has been. Just like St. Paul's journey was a little bit of a rocky one, just like St. Augustine's was a little bit that way, and then many other people. My, you know, our journeys are, are individual journeys. You know, we're unique and unrepeatable creations of God, right? And, um, and one of the important things about that is that um, many people, especially these days, are, have been touched by divorce in some way, shape, or form. And I found by actually sharing that part of my vocation story I cannot tell you how many people have sat across from me, especially in my parish work before I was the vocations director, and had said, Father, well, I came to talk to you because I just thought you would understand. And these are people who are maybe, divorce might be something that might be on the horizon in their life, or they have been divorced, or they're a child of divorce, in so many different ways. And I realized this thing that sometimes I was reluctant to share because it's not something you know that I feel celebratory about. Of course, it's a, it's a difficult time in my life. And in many ways, um, Kristen's death was very different than the divorce because they're both these severings, but one of them is sort of not anybody's fault, so to speak. But divorce, there is sort of fault of the couple in a variety of ways. And uh, and there's a real severing of something that should be joined together, and so that in many ways was more difficult than even even losing Kristen, and her death. And um, but but it was it's amazing to me how many people I realized because I was vulnerable in that way that they'd never come to talk to a priest before, but because that was a part of my story, they came to talk to me, and and it made me realize that just like. St. Paul talks about his difficulties in his journeys, like being shipwrecked, being stoned, being, you know, scourged, all of these different, you know, hungry, thirsty, all of the different things that he experienced. He shares that in his letters. He doesn't not share his own experience in Christ, with Christ, and the difficulties that he experienced. He actually tells his people about those things. And I think um, it's because he's a person. You know, and and that's the biggest thing. My mother always reminds me of, we have to write uh, sort of autobiographies and essays and different things like that when we apply, not only to an archdiocese or a diocese, but also to the seminaries that you go. So for me, it's a little different because uh, eventually I got my, my marriage annulled a couple of years before I ever even entered the seminary. So it was something I felt like the Lord was telling me to do. And again, people who are seeking annulments, they tend to be like, Father, can you, can you help walk me through this annulment, can you help me do this? And, and yeah, and so I understand that from the first, you know, firsthand point of view. But I wrote an autobiography for the annulment proceedings and then all kinds of other things, right? Like all kinds of other things that they ask you through the whole process. And then I had to do an autobiography when I applied to the Arts Archdiocese of Portland. And then you have to do like another one for Mount Angel. And then eventually I studied at the North American College of Rome. And then like another one there, right? And of course, at that point, you're able to sort of like use portions of the same thing because some things don't change. But but in those experiences, recounting your life, much like St. Augustine did in the confessions, when you go and you walk through your life and you write about it, that's cathartic as well. There's a lot of healing that comes from that. But then you also have certain essays that you have to write about, you know, certain topics. But one of them was sort of about what kind of a priest that you wanted to be, from the best of my recollection. And, and the reason I always remember that is because my mom always reminds me of it, you know, as mothers are, are very good at doing, you know, they remind you of all kinds of things. And, um, and so she had reminded me that I wrote in that essay that I wanted to be an approachable priest, in my young life, I never really met a priest that I knew on sort of a human level. And so in some ways, that, that ends up being like, you don't even think the priests are human. <laughs> and of course they're human, but they just don't seem like it. They seem very distant to our, or they're on a pedestal of some sort. And I guess that I realized that I wanted to try to break down barriers in a certain way. And I, I think most people who know me, probably feel that that's the case, you know, because it's just like, I, I'm, it's a miracle that I'm a priest, you know, for a variety of reasons, some of which I've just shared. And because of that, you know, I, I tell stories of normal things, you know, I'm preaching the gospel in a homily, but I'm also telling you about being human. And it's just like, because we're humans learning about something supernatural about the gift that we received in Jesus Christ. And we're integrating those things together so that we can actually practice our faith. You know, much in the same way we talk about sacraments, like visible signs of invisible realities, we're like the human thing, we're the visible thing. And that's why we use tangible stuff like water and bread and wine and oil, So that we can get the invisible thing, God's grace into our life. So in the same way, I very much try to integrate the everyday normal stuff into our supernatural life with God. How do we how do we bring the divine down into our normal, everyday sort of life? And I guess in in some ways, you know, it's that approachability thing that I felt like is so important. I smile a lot too, and as Mother Teresa said, you know, that goes a long way. I some of these things though, we realize as a seminarian, as a priest, as a future priest, you know, like wherever you are in your formation, it's just, it's a funny thing that there are God-given demeanors that we gave. Like, I smile a lot. That was just like, it's just innate in me. It's just like what my face wants to do. Like when I see people, right? So there are certain things that God just gives us, like as, as certain demeanors. And there are gifts, and then there are things we're terrible at, you know? And then hopefully we partner together with amazing people to help us.
0: I really appreciated Father Peter's openness and that he shared about these life experiences in such a real way. As he said, it's important to share the stories of our journey because like the saints, sometimes the road can be very rocky, but by sharing our experiences and our difficulties, we can actually really help one another. You can also tell just by listening that Father Peter is a very joyful person and and that he does smile a lot. And I asked Father, what brings him hope being a priest here in Portland? When
1: people visit Portland, they have this thing and everybody who's like in the ministry world kind of knows it. People will visit Portland and they'll say something like, something special is going on here in Portland. And none of us really know what that is still to this day. But I think that I've, I've been really blessed, especially now as vocations director. I was at St. Alice in Springfield filling in for Father Mark Bentz um, this past weekend. And then I was at like Juan Diego and then I was at the cathedral and then uh, St. Rose of Lima and like all these different churches that I get to go to now to help my brother priests, you know, fill in for them. And then, of course, I also hear young men who could be doing anything else and yet they feel... God calling them to be a priest. And so it's just like, I see A, our shepherd, Archbishop Sample, I've heard him say that there are things that God is doing in his life, in his actual spiritual life, that are transforming him. And so as, I think he's 61, 62 now, as an Archbishop who's who's still willing to be transformed by the Lord, and is being transformed by the Lord, That transforms all of us as priests, which ends up transforming all the laity, all of our parishioners and everything like that. And so I see a lot of that happening, right? I see like our shepherd being open to the Holy Spirit and then our priest being open to the Holy Spirit and then our, our, our people. And so you see so many different apostolates that kind of flow from that. So you just keep meeting individuals that are absolutely on fire for their faith and people just keep starting amazing ministries and amazing things. And uh, I mean there's nobody who's around downtown Portland that can't go to St Michael the Archangel and meet some of the folks from Society of Mary St John Societies and see something special there or or go to, you know, St Patrick and see Father Tim preach and meet all of the young adults and the parishioners after just a normal Sunday mass at St Patrick and see What's going on there? And, and then and then even, you know, and it's everything. Like, or go to St. Stephen and experience, you know, the traditional Latin mass and, and, you know, the community around that and see, like, little altar servers that are like, I want to become priests and not be, like, inspired by that. So the amazing thing about it is, it's like, it's in every aspect and nook and cranny of the church, too. It's not just, like, one thing or one piece, or one niche, it, it it's sort of like, it's like you see the Holy Spirit penetrating every part of it, like the fabric of the whole entire archdiocese in some way, shape, or form, and so like everywhere you go, you sort of see some weird hallmark of it, and so again, like if I knew what it was, I would tell you, because like I, you know, who knows, that would be It'd be really amazing to discover what it actually is, but maybe that's the thing. Like maybe we just known what it is the whole time. It's like the Holy Spirit of God, you know. It's it's just um, Father John Ricardo in his ministry talks about it a lot, and he's had a, a great influence on on our presbyterate and, and and our archbishop as well. And and again, all he's doing is preaching the kerygma. He's preaching. You know, the gospel, he's preaching the passion, death and resurrection of of Jesus, the very basics of the faith. but but in that, he talks very much about letting go of your blueprint, which I talked about in my own life, and allowing the Lord to give you the blueprint. And, and I think that many people here, laity, priests, our own our own shepherd, are doing that. And when you do that, Um, the Holy Spirit is just going to take over. And I really think that that's kind of what's happening. For lack of not knowing exactly what it is, exactly what it is, is the Holy Spirit working in the earth sciences, I guess, you know.
0: You can't hear Father's excitement and joy about what the Holy Spirit is doing here without being encouraged yourself. So no matter where you are in your life, maybe this conversation has helped you to let go of your own blueprint for your life and to instead be open to what God wants for you. That brings us to the end of this episode. I want to thank Father Peter Julia for taking the time to record this interview with me as well as the Office of Vocations at the Archdiocese of Portland. Be sure to check out our video series as well as more vocation stories that we will be sharing in other podcast episodes. Thank you again for joining us on Signs of Hope as we tell the stories of how God is working here in the Pacific Northwest, and may God bless you. Signs of Hope is produced by Matra day Radio in Portland, Oregon. Find this show on your favorite podcast platform and our free Hail Mary media app, along with a wide range of locally produced shows, prayer library, radio live stream, and more. Details are also available at materdayradio.com.